I am George Knapp listening to That UFO Podcast and having one hell of a good time. That UFO Podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. The open beta strives to put the power of studio quality remote video production into the hands of anyone with a story to tell. Features include HD video recording, studio quality sound, chat and footnotes. All running right from your browser so you can record from anywhere without ever installing anything. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. Except all of the characters are just variations of Reed Richards just stretched out and he's just pretending to be all of them. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. I am 100% leaving that small clip in there uh, and you can guess what Dan and I have just been talking about and I can promise you won't be able to guess what it was. Uh, my name is Andy and Dan, like I say, is joining me for this one. Dan, welcome back. Hi. Hi, that's uh, yeah. that's hilarious. Thank you. Yeah, we, have to, we have to leave that bit in. Um, I just hit record right at the tail end of a conversation Dan and I were having. So uh, thoughts on an email or DM to what we were discussing. Um, and it wasn't UFO-related, folks. So, uh, Dan, this is a follow-up review. We've done one already this month. Uh, it was this month, yeah, for A Terror in the Sky. And this one is on the new Aerial School Phenomenon documentary, aerial phenomenon um, you can rent this now at www.aerialphenomenon.com we will discuss some of the issues they've had around the renting buying or or release of the film um probably after we've discussed the documentary to be honest um because it's, it's definitely worth a conversation thank you to everyone who gave us feedback on the a tear in the sky documentary review and um, we were very honest with it we always will be with these um I think we're open and honest enough to say we tend to get these early. We're very lucky to do that, and um, we appreciate them being sent out. But that doesn't mean we're going to pander or, or pedal to people for interviews or you know free copies of stuff. We would happily spend our money on these things as well to to discuss them with you on the podcast. Um, Creatives can do, can do a lot with actual feedback as well. You know, uh, it, it's almost the worst thing you can say is, "Oh, that's just great," and leave it at that. Like, if if you give feedback, it can be improved for next time. You know. If they want to take that on board, I get the feeling, and this wasn't aimed at UAPX, as we've had that discussion, just I suppose we can start off with a little bit on that, with um, UAPX done a roundtable on on the A Terror in the Sky documentary, Uh, Gary Verhees and others have come out since and said obviously they weren't entirely happy with how their part in that was portrayed and put across, um, probably ultimately disappointed with how it turned out. I don't think the the folks that made a tear in the sky are necessarily looking for for that feedback, and that's why I'm not doing follow up interviews with those involved. And that's not UAPX. I'm not talking about them, um, and that's that's just for me. I don't want to bring someone on just to sling mud at them. I don't see the point in that, but I I don't feel they want that honest conversation either because that's just the kind of content that Caroline Corey and co put out they want a certain style and tone and it's always going to be the same um however i think that'll segue and lead nicely into the aerial phenomenon documentary this is a very very well-known and famous event to many um september 16th 1994 in rural zimbabwe um the aerial school 
had a pretty incredible experience. So as we record this, you're looking at something that happened 28 years ago. Um, The project was directed, produced and written by Randall Nickerson. Randall will be joining me on the podcast on the 26th of May. So if you have any questions for him off the back of this, email to ufouapam at gmail.com, please. And I'll get those put to Randall. Um, That'll probably come out the week after or so, Dan, won't it? Just given schedules and everything as well. Yeah, Um, yeah. But I look forward to speaking to Randall. Um, And it's released through the company String Theory Films. String Theory Films don't have a whole host of of UFO documentaries and whatnot behind them. This is very much their first major foray into that and is no doubt their biggest project to date. Uh, Much of the documentary follows witness Emily Trim as she leaves Canada to head back to Zimbabwe for the first time since she and her family left Zimbabwe after the event. Um... And it, it kind of picks up the story from from the get go. So, initial thoughts, Dan. Um, before you knew or before you saw this, what were your thoughts? What were you expecting? What were you hoping for? I I was expecting a, a really kind of somber but extensive and in depth look at a case. You know, essentially a case study. Depending on what you've read, what you've watched whether you've seen the original interviews, there's so much material on this case that we kind of needed a, a de facto new base to start from. And and I was really hoping that this documentary would would be that. And I'm pleased to say that I, I think it is. Yeah, I think it's one of those that it's, it's plugged into other documentaries or you've seen it so many times as part of other TV shows or if it's been on a Discovery Channel documentary or part of Ancient Aliens for 30 Seconds or other documentaries like The Phenomenon and such that you see One, parts... one of the more potent parts of that documentary of The Phenomenon as well, you know, everyone comes away from it. Absolutely. I know anyway, talking about that segment with all the voices overlapping, talking about the event, you know. It, I it's think nice I mentioned to when I watched this... The Phenomenon, Susan came in, my wife, towards the end, and she saw the part where they talk about Ariel as it builds up and, and comes to the kind of climax of the film. And she's not that interested in this subject. I've said before, folks, given especially what I do, but that really caught her attention given her background and she worked in education and it is used to dealing with kind of school children. That had a profound effect, effect with her to see these kids discussing this incredible experience. Um, so yeah, it, it was nice, like you say, to, to pull that out all those clips and bits and pieces and stuff that's been lying on cutting room floors for so long to put it all together in one concise package with um, some extra narrative we've done throughout as well but really focusing solely on on the event um, yeah absolutely I, I, would, as... I would like to see the same done for the the phoenix lights event i think we're long overdue a, a well put yeah, together documentary on that I, but that, I, think I don't so. want to jump ahead i don't want to jump ahead um Dan, the event itself, so like we said, September 16th, 1994, um, during the day, not nighttime, uh, out in Zimbabwe, uh, you know, not over New York and all that kind of stuff that we usually have with these events or over Washington, um, a school out in the middle of Zimbabwe um, on, a, on a recess or a break time or, or whatever you want to call it, wherever you're from, a um, bunch of kids out playing notice that there's a, an object in the sky that then lands in a clearing not too far from them. and all kinds of reports of the, the the object being silver, but then there's some variations around that we can discuss. Um, we hear that there are two figures have come out of the object, uh, large black eyes, big heads, plastic-looking skin, bodysuits, witnessed by around 60 children. Um, the headmaster claims probably more than that, but around 60 children discussed the event um, for around 10 to 15 minutes. Mid-90s, in the middle of Zimbabwe, 
uh, these children there's no cctv you know there's no there's no camera phones there's no no recording equipment this is very much testimony only the difference being whenever we have something like this it tends to be a much smaller number of people and usually adults what we have here are swaths or swathes or whatever the word is of children all reporting gaggles, gaggles of children <laughs> i don't even think that's the plural um an aerial of children as we can say now reporting a very very similar event and, and that's the fascinating thing behind this this particular event isn't it yeah yeah uh they, there's a bit in the film where they're talking about the the richness of the fact that all of the children have slight variations on the same story, which kind of shows that they experienced a similar event from different points of view, which is what you would expect. Uh, some, someone argues that it, had it been a lie, they all would have kind of had exactly the same stories and because they'd be following one point of view. It, it was very interesting to, to hear that and then to consider it as you were hearing all of the children tell their stories and hearing the variations. They, there were a few things in this that people always want to know, is there something new? And you know what? There might not be. But for me, at least, there were a few details in here that I hadn't read or watched over the years. So though it's not new to everybody, um, there's certainly something extra to be taken away from this. Yeah, I think in any event that happens within a school setting, particularly if a group of children, if there's a fight in a dinner hall, you know, you could ask all the kids who witnessed the same thing what happened and you're going to hear the same story but with some differences here and there and maybe this person threw a punch or this person threw a kick and actually it was the other way around but your memory just has a certain effect on you and you remember certain things a certain way i'm sure again we've talked about this before that if you ask a bride and groom sometime after a wedding about the wedding day they're going to remember things slightly differently oh yeah this person cut the cake and actually this happened i remember this person slipped on the dance floor actually those details aren't quite correct they're not lying it's just the way their memory's chosen to kind of piece that together and project it back to them and there's a real innocence i think is probably the word that comes up mainly with the children and how they describe what they've seen they've clearly saw something they're 100 percent. they're not lying they've had an experience and it's very very genuine i find this easier to watch and i think we discussed this dan when we talked about was it the observers documentary where the first half was linda moulton howe richard dolan and co that's right and then the second half went into a little bit of hybrid alien baby chat and it's difficult to relate to and one adult sitting telling a story with with nothing to back it up and you think i i okay i'll take that at face value but for me i just shelf that and move on whereas like you say you've got 60 children plus all sharing a similar experience out of the middle of nowhere. You know, they weren't brought up in a culture of UFOs and aliens, and that's that's not the case. Um, it wasn't very westernized as such. And they talk about, you know, the, the same types of beings, the the same type of craft, the fact the fact the thing landed, and we'll get into kind of how that how that developed later on. Um, the early investigations were done by Cynthia Hind. Um, she was an investigator and local MUFON representative, uh, assisted by Gunter Hofer. Those are some of the names that you'll see early on in the film. And they very much interviewed the children um, to discuss at the time, you know, what happened? What did you see? Take down the basics. Um, the interviews are, are relatively simple as to what's done at the time. And they tend to have the children sometimes in groups as well, don't they? Asking them all and... Not that it's not professional, but 
we see John Mack takes the investigation down the line to a different level with how he approaches it. Um, what were your he, thoughts on... He talks on... a lot about kind of feelings, doesn't he, of the children's yes. experience, and a lot more tends to tumble out of them when he's talking about that, and that's where you get the kind of telepathic messages, almost, or the feelings they got when, when the visitors were just looking into their eyes. Yeah. It's very interesting, and John John argues that, like you said, whether something landed or whether it didn't, they experienced something, and and that's worth studying, no matter what, you know. Yeah, uh, like you say, John John Mack comes in and he gets them one on one, which is a I think a big difference to how they were interviewed before. And like you say, he he uses words like you know how are you feeling, you know, rather than just what did you see which is what they were asking the kids beforehand. And that's that's no slight on Cynthia and Gunther and how they how they started those initial investigations. But he approaches it from that psychologist's point of view and and is blown away, as as are many people. I found it interesting, Dan, that when they talk to the teachers at the school at the time, um, I think it's Cynthia that's in speaking with them, half the teachers are quite dismissive of the event and basically say that yeah, the children are lying. But some of the other teachers, quite rightly, come forward and say, "No, I, I can't see how they can be lying. There was too many. I, I like um, too panicked." Judy Bates Bates's response, um, where she she was a little skeptical, but then she said, "I live here. I try not to think about it. I have a lot of sleepless nights thinking about it, and I'm scared of the unknown, so I block it off. So I'd rather get on with school. I believe the kids, but if I think about it too much, I'll lose sleep again. And and I think that kind of fear of the unknown." Uh, keeps a lot of people from talking about it. That that's kind of the stigma that we're trying to get past, right? That this isn't something to be scared of. Uh, this is something we can study and understand. Yeah, that first twenty minutes, Dan, you you hit the nail on the head with people asking and asking us as well. Is there new stuff in this documentary? Bear in mind that happened in ninety four. Um, how how much how much new stuff is going to come out of it? What you do get is a focus on people like Emily Trim mainly, but other adults as well, including the teachers as they've grown older and how it's affected them through their lives and the, the story of Emily trying to come to terms with it, how it has affected her, her family, her relationship with her family and other people. And that's really, really interesting. That's that human element to the story we've, we've talked about several times, which is which is really well done. And that's where the focus is. The, the first 20 minutes is spent recapping the story, the interviews, the children involved. Then John Mack gets involved. We see it interspliced with the, the past and then the, the present. We see many of the children, now adults, discussing how they didn't really know about UFOs at the time, how it's affected their jobs, how it's affected what their career paths ended up being and, and their lives in general. Um, Emily Emily Trim, who we, like I say, is probably the main character, our main focus of the, the full documentary, tells you how her family was very religious and they were discouraged as children from talking about the event. Her and her older brother both witnessed the event. But she says it's not that the family didn't believe her, but there was no space in their religious belief for this sort of event having happened there was no way alien visitors came down and in that sort of craft and what happened couldn't have happened but something did happen but they basically chose to leave the country didn't they um, yeah off the back they, of that they, there was another family as well uh, a child named paul is mentioned that he was deeply affected and they moved to canada um the the parents were just refused to discuss it and yeah we we hear about people on the inside of the pentagon who are very religious religiously minded and they struggle with this because where we see ufos and a mystery they see something that can only be explained by 
things such as tricksters or demons and things mm -hmm. like that. And and so there's a reluctance to engage with it, which I understand, but you're, you're never going to make the unknown known by being that way. Not all top secret tech is secret forever. That's why the kings of crotch comfort Manscaped have spent two years designing the most comfortable boxer briefs out there. I've had the honour of testing out these new boxers and I can say it's the softest fabric of any underwear I own. They've even trademarked the new jewel pouch so you know it's serious. I think it's time you invest in your own special sensors so let your Tic Tacs breathe and get 20% off and free shipping by using code ANDYUFO at manscaped.com. The micromodal fabric is buttery soft and breathable, absolutely recommended for anyone being grilled in front of Congress. While your forehead might be sweating, your little ufologist doesn't have to. You can also choose from an arrangement of designs and colours. Uh, sizes range from small to 3XL, all shapes and sizes covered, both redacted and unredacted. So, get 20% off and free shipping with the code ANDYUFO at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code ANDYUFO at manscaped.com. You can support the pod today and get a little something back at manscaped.com. One of the parents, uh, the quote she uses is that she doesn't believe because she didn't see it herself, but she believes her child to an extent. And again, there's that block, isn't there, of, yeah, something happened, but they're clearly struggling to come to terms with, did they say beings that weren't human in a technology that they couldn't understand? And they've just chosen to go, do you know what? Yeah, my, my kids saw something. They're not lying. All these children saw something, but I didn't see it, so it wasn't aliens. Uh, and again, it's one of those ones, you know, Dan, we can be quite fair that I think we're, we're quite happy to say we're not saying it's aliens, but on this occasion... It, it very much was described as being aliens it was the typical grey type beings, this is what these children are, are claiming to have saw and they all saw the same um, kind of kind of object and same sort of beings as, as described. Tim Leach is someone who f is uh, featured quite heavily on the documentary, he worked with the BBC as a cameraman, producer and journalist at the time out in Zimbabwe and he felt his career was ruined uh, ultimately by his reporting of this being so so frank and honest and believing that yes these these children did see what they say and i think this is again still to this day why perhaps many don't touch the subject yeah he he was known for reporting from war zones and he gave the bbc excellent coverage and he explains in the documentary that at one point he couldn't get any information and he found it frustrating because he was like we're with the bbc we're not just some random small news network you, you know we're, we are respectable um and he, he was trying to get help to kind of decipher what was going on in the case and record everything. He explicitly says that he feels like covering the case got him accused of, you know, losing his marbles and, and it ended his career with the BBC. So you can you can see why any other reporters that might want to report on it would be reluctant to to go down that road. And it didn't involve men in black coming to his door and telling him to be quiet. It just involve the stigma and us telling each other you know not to talk about these things which is changing now i think i'm right in saying tim leach passed away about 10 years ago i think it was 2011 um i believe if it's the same tim leach who ended his career as a foreign affairs correspondent and he'd done a lot of work out in zimbabwe then uh, a lot of tim leach's pieces within this documentary do appear to be older interviews just with the quality of the the footage but um it's a, he's a fascinating part of this um he left dr john mack the the voicemail which gets john mack involved in this case um 
Tim himself goes on to say he felt John Mack's involvement added a greater depth of credibility to the investigation, which it certainly does. Um, we mentioned John Mack's part in this is to come in, speak to the children one at a time, ask them what they saw. But like you say, he approaches it from that psychologist's point of view. What were you feeling at the time? What were your emotions? You know, And that's where, very interestingly, some of the children are described a noise in the air that scared them. Um, there was a fluff, wasn't it? Well, there was a flute type noise. Yeah, that's right. One of them says, um, said he ran away and told the teacher about it, who said, just forget about it, which is a very adult, yeah, just forget about it. It is, isn't it? Yeah. What an odd response, but it's when you don't understand, you don't know what to do. Just, yeah, forget about it. It'll go away. Um, John Mack speaks to the teachers, uh, saying they should let the children share their experience. Uh, it's not to be dismissed. And this is the, the part I mentioned earlier where several of the teachers say oh, they're making it up and others aren't so sure. Um, I, I had the same comment as you, Dan, from, from Judy Bates, who was a deputy head at the time, saying is believing, but I'm also scared of the unknown, so I block it off. And that just adds to what you say, that, yeah, that that's how many approach this subject, especially as they lose that kind of childhood innocence. I think of the Polar Express, you know, how as a child you can hear the bell, but then as you get older, the bell stops ringing for you and the kind yeah. of magic goes away. And that seems to be, there's there's that point in your life, those couple of formative years, kind of puberty, adolescence as you go into it, where you, you lose that kind of magic and that kind of sense of wonderment and you move into that more logical way of thinking and, and viewing the world, which is a shame, but um, some of us don't and end up starting podcasts. Um, <laughs> well, it, it makes me wonder if, because we've spoken to some guests about whether only certain people can perceive things. Gary touched on it when, when you spoke to him and, you know, it doesn't make you special if you can perceive them. It just means that you can, that's all. And I know that there are a lot of filters that, that develop in children as they grow up. And part of me wonders if children are a little more open to this this kind of high strangeness than a lot of us adults are. Emily Trim, uh, in the middle of the documentary, visits the school, the the setting. It's the first time she's been back there. It's very emotional for her. Um, she visits Mrs. Hoacha, who's a former teacher, now very elderly, of course, uh, reflecting on who were they, who, where were they from, you know, were they people discussing the beings and the entities and it seems that as she's got older she's reverted back to being a bit more understanding and you know these children did see something it's no doubt something that stuck with her her whole life and people in the area have talked about it and that comes across as you you see people who live still within the local area as well that it's something they're very aware of happening and again much more open to those types of experiences and they talk about how they discuss those potential beings and where they may be from and why and why they're having those experiences in the area and that's kind of woven again throughout the middle of the, the documentary, isn't it? Yeah, they, they go to, at one point, uh, an elder, and uh, Emily speaks to the elder, and he talks about the experience from a spiritual point of view. And I thought that was really interesting because there, there are a lot of traditions, like if you look up uh, the you know the origin stories of the Hopi tribe and things like that, a lot of it plugs into kind of what we know today as spiritualism. And it, it makes me wonder if there's kind of this little Venn diagram of overlap between, you know, these kind of worlds that that we know and think are separate, but actually, you know, they, they might be layered onto each other and we might be living in that layered part. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, <laughs> several of the children talk about, and an, this is a part I was, I was really looking forward to speaking to you about, um, they talk about an intense stare. 
um, that there's an attraction that they had to keep looking at these beings. The beings were making them scared, terrified. This is some of the words that John Mack got out of them. Um, got the feeling that they wanted the children to go with them, which is quite sinister just from our point of view. It might not have been from the other way around. Um, one says she thought the beings may attack them and there was a feeling of evil. And again, this is something I bring up, especially when I'm... Then. Yeah, you... <laughs> Thanks, I have that effect. Um, <laughs> just when people online talk about, you know, all the stuff to do with threat narratives and all that kind of stuff is wrong because these beings are benevolent and peaceful and it's love and light. And it's there's too many examples that, like this, and with abduction experiences and anything else where people don't feel happy and a sense of calm and a sense of complete, you know, relief and joy. And these children themselves talk about feeling scared and anxious. None of them tell you they felt happy or that they wanted to go. It was quite an unsettling and, and scary experience. So again, if you if you fall on that side of the everything's great with these potential non-human intelligences, you know, the, the Dr. Stephen Greer school of thinking, I just don't, I think it's very pigeonholed and you have to open up to, well, what about these experiences? Because these children certainly didn't feel welcomed or warm or happy about what was happening and it wasn't something they, they particularly wanted to happen and look how it's how it stayed with them their whole lives afterwards as well that's that's the thing from the film that stands out with me that to, to use an analogy you know it's almost like forcing the blue pill on neo in the matrix instead of letting it be his choice these these experiences kind of well not kind of they do they traumatize people and mm-hmm. these experiences don't ask for this and and the least we can do is you know listen to the stories and take them seriously because they have a huge profound impact on these people's lives and the lives of people connected to them uh it it surprised me with some of the other kind of landing uh stories that people just don't talk to their current spouses about them it's almost like they try and leave it behind in another life and then you have people like emily who can't help but paint the the chip and the beans that she saw mm-hmm. you know over and over and over again there was a great moment where she saw her drawing for the first time in years from when she was a child and and realized that it was pretty much exactly the same thing as she'd been painting all these years later and that was amazing to you know that it sat that deeply within her that she couldn't help but express it the the village chief's son uh, duke masonza tells emily in a conversation that she doesn't need to keep this to herself and she should share it and shout it if she needs to and he says that children are often used to deliver these types of messages as and i love this quote the message grows with them so while yeah. the experience and and what happened at the time may have not been a necessarily positive one anyone who has any sort of sighting or experience will attest to this and i hate to use myself as an example but if I didn't see what I saw in the mid nineties, you know, the big object on its side spinning, you know, the podcast logo, Dan, is, is you asked me about it and that's what you, you came up with. Um, I probably don't have the interest in the subject I have now and I don't start a podcast on it. So you can look at the same with Emily where, yeah, maybe nothing so much happened in terms of her getting the message out for, for 24, 25 or 28 years, I think it was, but you look, to where now that she's been in the documentary that she attended as you find out right at the end the open minds conference at the time having that discussion and she's she's becoming more susceptible to discussing the experience and getting that message out there and there you go and if that happens to so many different people whether they're writing about it drawing about it doing podcasts blogs vlogs magazines if they are journalists who go on to to write articles about it or just people who have experiences in, in the military or the government who then come out 
that's everyone doing their little bit that's had an experience. But I also appreciate how some people don't have that innate want to, to share or or they can't. And that's that's absolutely fair as well. So um I thought that it was a really interesting quote. If you were if you were influencing a population to kind of come to terms with the fact that, you know, you were coming from outside their planet or dimension or whatever. I wonder how many people you'd have to be you'd have to influence and over how much that how how long amount of time you'd have to do that before you would create that kind of paradigm shift because like you say not everyone is going to decide to share that story they're going to keep it to themselves and I've said before that I think a lot more people have had experiences than than we think so I'd I'd be curious to know Uh, I guess that might be something I get to ask them if I ever if I meet them like hey can I can I see the algorithm for your your change influence (laughs) And, and again, I suppose that kind of falls in line with people thinking, well, why don't they just do this? But we can say it's been 75 years of experiences and events. And I know it goes back further than that. But if these some of these beings do experience time, for example, in a completely different way to us, then maybe they are looking at it at this point we're in now and going, well, you've got all these religious experiences which depict all these events. You then have any number of events that happened throughout history you know burning shields in the skies when it was the romans all that kind of stuff to the point where the nuclear age comes into view and we start seeing more objects we start recording more objects and to this point we now have the medium of you know like entertainment and infotainment and documentaries you've got this whole different range of medium media and mediums talking about this subject and yet we're still told yeah there's no evidence yeah, absolutely. And and really, the pile is so big that just in the hearings that have gone, one of the senators was getting annoyed that a certain you know case wasn't studied because all the documents are out there. We're, we're to the point now where this the, the piles of data are, are kind of undeniable, and it's time to start sifting through them and taking it seriously. I would just recommend in advance sifting through any videos and, and getting screenshots that you want before you start playing them on live congressional hearings <laughs> to make sure you can get the, the point of the video that you need. So, someone did say, though, and I thought this was a good point, that that video was played as an example of how fleeting these encounters can be. And yeah, you know, in, in terms of that, as an example, it sucked. It was it was really hard to see anything. Good Good job. But bring about a video next time yeah keep that for the classified section when you want to talk about the yeah. encounters yeah um so the the children discuss receiving messages about um our information about pollution and bad technological advancements impacting humanity uh, this is some of the best testimony for me available and if you want to talk yeah. about testimony of like david fravor and others i think you've got to put these kids testimony right up beside that because they may not have seen Tic Tacs, you know, off their wing or been engaged in combat, but they were children who had no idea of what they could potentially be looking at and told you exactly what it was and what they saw. And there was no, there was very little, I can't say no, but there was very little outside influence on that. You know, they they weren't watching Independence Day or the Star Trek series and, and that kind of stuff. They, they were just innocent kids, very young and en masse had a pretty incredible event happen to them so for me that's that's right up there with the best testimony we have yeah i'd agree and I, i'm glad you brought up dave fravor because that encounter had some similarities with some of the testimony from from this area of the film where uh it was said that one being started running across a field and that the way that the being moved was kind of kind of a, a low gravity situation but not as extreme as humans on the moon but what would happen is as the being kind of reached the other edge of the field, it would almost reset 
back to where it began and make the exact same movement again. And the child that recounts this says that this is where she got scared because she didn't understand what was happening. Some some others explained that the ship was kind of hard to see because every time they looked at it, it would kind of be flitting off in another area. Mm-hmm. And, and when she was recounting this, I just thought to myself, wow, that's that's a very tic-tac-like movement, isn't it? I, I wonder if, you, you know, if if we're talking something dimensional or something from another time stream or, you know, wherever you want to go there, if the movement isn't necessarily, you know, as fast as we think it is, we're just looking through a kaleidoscope and that's all we see. And and that's not to say, you know, this object was a tic-tac, but what it's a good example of is it's the best close-up close, close up example of the technology that we're potentially experiencing. Yeah. And this is what these different craft. And I, I asked Lou Elizondo about that, that have we seen... How do we know these objects are all potentially from the same place or the same technologies, etc.? And he he said himself that they appear to all use the same types of propulsion or whatever that may be. So regardless if they're coming from different places, they seem to have some sort of common technology. And that's what we're experiencing with these different events. There, there was that awesome detail as well where uh, it was recounted that it looked like the 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 craft looked like a big rock like water was trickling over it and the sun was reflecting in that water it it didn't look smooth metallic it looked natural which we've heard in other areas but it's described as kind of the surface was moving like a lava or something like that and again it makes me wonder if we're, we're seeing kind of through a lens you know whether it's kind of perturbing and peeking into this universe as opposed to present here very interesting I want to ask Dan as we get towards the sort of end, and we're not going to talk about the whole thing because we don't want to spoil it for everyone as well. Um, is Avi Loeb the successor to John Mack? As I watched this, I realised, and they, they tell the story of John Mack throughout it as well, that John Mack took this subject to the mainstream um, against the kind of zeitgeist or what, what people would hope to hear in his academia and, and essentially risked, risked his professional career, which we, we hear a lot of derision even in this documentary about John Mack's decision, but ultimately how it was justified. Do you see a lot of similarities between Loeb and Mack? Yeah, absolutely. And and Loeb's also being kind of lambasted by his colleagues in the same way, yet he has the support of the higher-ups, just like John Mack did. They, there was a, a bit of a hoo-ha around... Um, whether John was asking leading questions and things like that, but the dean of the medical school basically ended up apologizing. And and he, he says in the documentary that any academic has the right to be wrong. It's the it's the right of the other academics to prove John wrong. So I, I think that's a great attitude to have. And so far, no one has proved John wrong. I, I love that we, we have his involvement there. And yeah, I, I would agree. I, I think Avi Loeb is kind of that current serious academic that is actually approaching the subject with an open mind and a scientific rigor. Paul McHugh is a professor of psychiatry at John Hopkins University, and he says they were embarrassed by John Mack and his quote-unquote enthusiasm. He says Mack had gone too far and that Harvard didn't like their name being associated with aliens. And again, that reminded me of Avi Loeb and the Zoom call, where he was attacked and called out by colleagues for even entertaining the subject of of UFOs, aliens, yeah. and you know, and, and yet other those things. People don't have that same kind of fire in them when they're discussing angels with a vicar, you know, something like that. It's it, it's just as much a belief as anything. And and I know some people would take issue with me saying that, so I'll just say you're entitled to to whatever you believe. Um, but 
also that comes with a requirement to let other people have their beliefs. And and I think John Mack, Abby Loeb, everyone has a right to do that. And and that guy who said that he was embarrassed uh, all these years later watching that clip, I was embarrassed for him. So touche, sir. About an hour in, I started to realize one of the plus points I was enjoying of this documentary was the lack of talking head UFO celebrities being spliced in. No Shatner. No Shatner. Um, the, The focus was on the story, the experience and the impact. Yes. I didn't see the director putting himself on the screen constantly, giving us, you know, wow, I can't believe this happened. This was such an incredible event. Let's hear more. There was no need. Just show us the story, show us the clips, and give us a nice narrative throughout that we can follow. And you can follow Emily. She's used as a, not a plot device, but she follows and continues the story on, and it keeps going back and forward. And again, that was an issue I've had with other documentaries, not just A Tear in the Sky, but we don't need Michio Kaku to give us, as intelligent and, and wonderful as the guy is, random spurious sound bites. William Shatner to give us random spurious sound bites. It's that that ancient aliens approach to things that just doesn't do it for me. I know many people enjoy it. I know many people don't. Um, so that that's absolutely fine. But for me, it really added to this documentary, and maybe that that lack of. <sighs> lack of polishing that you would maybe get with the the green screen backgrounds and you know the the names coming up with a really cool effect at the bottom and opening up across the screen with a little you know sound effect there was none of that but you don't need it um less is always more my exact quote next dan is is, (laughs) there was a late appearance by danny sheehan now you're almost i think an hour into the documentary and he pops up on screen and i've got less is more because he makes a very quick statement, he goes away and then comes back and again makes another couple of quick statements and is gone again. That's that's great. He's 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 added to the documentary, but the documentary's not about him. He's very much just there. And if he wasn't there, would it have made a big difference? Not particularly. But there is a far greater impact seeing a couple of seconds of Danny Sheehan here and there. And he's not even advertised as being, you know, Danny Sheehan's in this documentary. But it's really nice to see him and hear from him and he's used so so well far better than we've seen in a lot of other documentaries as well um yeah absolutely i i wonder if a senator is going to bring up this documentary and anything associated with it in in another hearing in the future this is a very compelling case it has the attention of a lot of the right people and i think some sensors probably existed in 1994 that can corroborate this in some way uh hopefully anyway well dan i've got down here uh, as a point to discuss with you did these events happen then for us to talk about them now i mean i can see what you're getting at we 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 talk timey-wimey things all the time and again something outside of our linear experience of time could certainly jump back through and go okay if we just pour a little stone in the river here and here and here then we're given the material to to start chewing through publicly it's a very good question. Is the, is the phenomena itself influencing disclosure? And and I think you can't you can't ignore that possibility. You know, when when a neighbor comes over, they have to knock your front door. If they break in through the window, you're going to notice they're there in a different way. Uh, so I I feel like maybe uh, it's an out in itself. But I also think of when you spoke to Gary and he said about DNA unfolding and and certain instructions being in the subsets and I, I wonder if maybe if evolution has gotten to a place where it's starting to unfold and let some of us see uh, 
a bit more of the universe we live in. It reminded me a little bit of, again, mild spoilers, but I started watching everything everywhere all at once. And they've got a little pad within it that shows you the multiverse, but it also shows you the timeline of someone's life. And it's like, left home, got a job, left job, met boyfriend. And it's like where things split off at different times and they can kind of reverse and go back along and see the different choices and and why they're made, when they're made and how that affects the outcome of things. And is it a chance, like you say, that these things happened at that point so that someone like Emily talks about it 28 years later? Or like several of those children, maybe more still to come forward. Um, maybe some of them are now like politicians or within government or working in corporate roles where they've not quite done it yet, but they're still to come forward. Or like you say, is this something that as the time now we start to get more congressional hearings comes up as part of those discussions as well? Not just in the US, but obviously we're, we're a month away from Brazil's open yeah. congressional hearings. So that's again something that could be brought up or similar events we're almost seeing like a, a number of spinning plates in different places starting to, to converge you know like you say the hearings in brazil we've had the hearings in the us we, we know some other countries around the world have always been a little more open uh you know you can get some pretty startling ufo files from spain about planes kind of engaging ufos and things like that canada as well in the past week has, has spoken up a bit and and i think you're going to start seeing this big international conversation about things like this and absolutely all all events like this contribute to to the momentum and the awareness that it's going to take to to have these hearings and to tackle this properly the final part of the documentary very much shows emily's journey both physically and emotionally i think coming full circle she leaves zimbabwe she heads home and she seems to have far more acceptance now of what's happened to her maybe not the why it happened to her but things like her family now beginning to discuss with her a bit more her mother asks her about it her father she says brings it up at the dinner table maybe that's the extent of the conversation there and then but for her that's huge huge progress and she then appears like i mentioned at the open minds conference to speak about her experience too the, the documentary then then kind of finishes up you know no airs and graces we don't need um huge title screens that's the story it's been presented here's as much as we have there is nothing revelatory revelatory or startling. No one's breaking out here promising you new footage or here's some pictures that you never saw at the time. But what you get is the complete full picture of of an incredible event and the impact it's had through the decades on those who experienced it afterwards as well. And also how some of those adults at the time, the teachers or, or parents, are starting to come to grips in terms with it more and having that conversation sort of later on imagine being one of them and seeing this you know like gimbal or tic tac or any of these subjects coming up it it must like feel like a huge weight lifting off their shoulders you know it doesn't necessarily confirm that it was the same thing but certainly hearing these officials having similar strange experiences must just be you you know i i know for me at least but when i saw a lot of the the testimonies and things like that it was it was quite emotional to listen to, to to come to terms with the fact that so many people are going to see this and they're starting to understand. And for a long time, people struggle with this stuff on their own. And yeah, it was, it, it must, it, it must just be amazing for, for the people who were present to start seeing the world talk about this in a serious way. So coming again, full circle with yourself, Dan, where do you, where do you rate the documentary? Where, where does it sit for you? 
honestly one of my favorites on the subject. I, I've spoken about another one called Witness of Another World that I love so much because, again, it's focused on the human story. The, the UFO event isn't, you know, it's just the, the impetus for the director to go in there to talk to the person about how it affected their lives. This was similar. Remembering that there's a human at the center of this story that, and in this case, probably at least 100 people who experienced this, it it makes you grapple with your worldview. And we're already kind of there because we do this podcast and we speak about this stuff often. But I, I have a feeling that a lot of my friends with children are, are going to watch this and kind of have a, a moment of being somber. Hmm. Um. One thing to address afterwards, uh, folks, I, I definitely echo that. I recommend people go and watch this. It's a fascinating account. If you're expecting something like James Fox's The Phenomenon with, you know, officials coming in and footage and videos and pictures of UFOs, and you're not going to get that. You're getting a human story, a human experience. We've, we've talked before about Ryan Sprague's book, which very much documents the human experience of abductions and the after story and how, or, or even just any ET or, or non-human ex- intelligence experience that how it's affected them and and the aftermath and this is very much what this is you get a fantastic retelling of the the aerial school phenomenon event but then what's happened after to some of those people and how they're coming to terms with it and its role in the overall scheme of things it's fantastic i recommend um renting or buying and on that folks um if you want to do that, you go to www.aerialphenomenon.com. The links will be in the description for the show. Um, they have had a couple of issues around the, the launch. As we discuss this and record, it's the 22nd of May. This was meant to launch on the 20th of May. Um, they basically have come out. And to be fair, on social media, the Aerial Phenomenon um, accounts have been very, very active in discussing and keeping people up to date. It was meant to be on a streaming platform. And last minute, they uh, they were requested to make some changes they weren't happy with and decided to, to do it on their own. That then saw them come up with their own. You do the website, release it through there. It's not on Vimeo. It's not on any other streaming platforms and such. And it caused a few issues where people who had pre-ordered weren't able to get it straight away. But they 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 seem to be clearing up those issues. I know as we record this, there are still some people a little bit unhappy with that. I I would say, folks, on this occasion, it's not a huge company releasing this. Um, they've put a lot of effort into it. They've been very open and very honest. Um. I would say give them the break on this one because the things changed relatively late for them. And and for me, it's for the sake of a couple of days, I, I, sh- I would hope that doesn't put you off renting or, or getting a copy of this from them because um, it deserves your money if that's what you're able to afford to to keep up to date with the subject and and really dive into to a very well-made piece of, of documentary footage, uh, documentary filming. Um, yeah, give them a break on this one. I can see some people not happy about it, but uh, is that fair, Dan? Yeah, I, I would agree. And and if you're someone who isn't happy and someone who has the skills to maybe help, offer offer, offer the help instead of complaining. That that's what I would say. Uh, a little ironic, considering what kind of the the film talks about at the end, where they talk about why this stigma exists, um, and they they say that human egoism entirely is at stake. Are, are we powerful? Are we even in charge of our own fate? In the past couple of hundred years, we've gone from learning that we're not the center of the universe. In the past hundred years, we've learned, thanks to Freud, that we're not even in charge of our own individual lives to a certain extent. We are victims of the systems that we're born into in the societies and cultures. 
And now we're hitting the point where we're realizing we're not the most intelligent or advanced creatures in the cosmos. It sounds to me like a kid growing up. And and I feel like we should all stop throwing our toys out the pram if we want to say hi to the people that aren't from here. Some of your thoughts on the documentary, we reached out to find out what you had thought. Lynn says, I've just watched, I love that film, focused on the emotional impact on all involved. It made me feel sad that some kids felt they couldn't discuss it openly. I have total respect for Dr. John Mack for listening when many others didn't. James said there's a lot of things they could have introduced. History, cover-ups, Men in Black, Roswell. I think it's stronger without that stuff. The film is strong for the things it hasn't put in. And I think that's what Dan, you and I were, were trying to get across here. Yeah, um, they, 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 the creators alluded to a uh, production company wanting to change the film in that way to put some talking heads in and stuff as well. So just, you know, kudos to, to the creators for not, you know, taking the money there. Uh, sweet Peas. Choice. Sweet Peas Nana says the best quote from one precocious little girl. Um, it says precocious. It may have been precious, but either way, um, I don't think they have love in space. I've heard that theory that they, ETs, are envious of us and our ability to emote and enjoy and love. Um, the comment surprised me. Sad how some were not believed. Uh, I mean, sp- space is a vacuum, right? If, if love is a physical, tangible thing, then the vacuum wouldn't have it. That, that could be a sciencey thing. I don't know. We, we don't understand it, but we all know that words like love have, have a certain weight and power to them. So to say that they don't exist as things is, is strange. As Hadaway once said, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. No um, more. The, no more. <laughs> Great tune. Uh, the Paranormal Blip podcast, hello to them, said Aerial Phenomenon is the film we've been waiting for. It's a five-star masterpiece, an outstanding documentary, easily the best UFO documentary and up there with the best documentaries I've seen. Look forward to the review and Paranormal Blip podcast are releasing their own review soon. So thank you for that. Um, Chris Fowler says it's been 27 years since I saw the extended interviews when John Mack showed them here in Cardiff, Wales, uh, back in 1995. The documentary, in my opinion, is the best on the subject matter, despite no videos of UFOs, etc. Um, and that that's fair. Like A lot of the documentaries you do see with any footage, and again, this isn't bashing Stephen Greer, please, but a lot of those bigger, well-known documentaries from someone like Stephen Greer, the, the footage is just lights in the sky and interspliced with known hoaxes or you know flares and stuff like that as well so that stuff could have been put in there but to what effect and what end because it's not part of this documentary or story uh karen says i've just watched your beautiful and incredible film it was not not ours but obviously the aerial phenomenon um it was deeply deeply moving and makes a huge contribution to the subject and telling the world so brilliantly the impact experiences like this have on those who see something that breaks our worldview thank you so very very much and the last couple, James Falk says it was a moving and heartfelt film that captured the mystery of the phenomenon as well as a lasting effect on experiencers. The best UFO doc ever in terms of emotional impact. All those kids were clearly stunned and telling the absolute truth as best they could. Bravo. And from Benny um, said he thought it had excellent production values. The mundane but in brackets, normal and relatable tone, balanced and told its own story rather than being pushed with voiceover or drama. I could see this as a human story rather than an alien one and much better for it. Docs like this should be the norm. Filmmakers take note. So I think that's a lot of insight into to what people are saying about it. I've seen nothing negative at all in terms of reviews on social media, folks. I would be really honest, and Dan would as well, that the issues have been around the the release and the, the technical hitches. But please don't let that put you off. Definitely check out the website. And if you can, part with a couple of dollars to, to review. 
yeah, definitely. It, it's an excellent film. It's well worth your time and attention. And it's definitely one that when people say to me, where should I start? Uh, I'll put this up as an example of, you know, if you want to just look at one crazy case that, that might just show you the world is changing, here you go. This documentary would be it. Yeah, again, for me, you would say to them, not probably the phenomenon with James Fox, but off the back of that, you'd be saying, you know what, that aerial document, the aerial phenomenon event, aerial school event, then there's a whole documentary just on that. And we're also about to have a whole documentary on a case from Virginia as well in Brazil, a moment of contact in the coming months. So it's not been a bad year for, for documentaries. There has been content. There's still more to come. And even uh, Monsters in California, Dan, is one I'm really looking forward to from Tom DeLong. The trailer did get me a little excited. So, yeah, it should be a lot of fun. And and the movie that he made with uh, William Eubank, Love, was was excellent. It was uh, a very surprising film, a little 2001 ish, but I'd recommend if people haven't seen it, go watch it. it. It's better than you expect. It did win some awards. I mean, Tom is very much a man-child stuck in the 2000s, so that's totally to be expected, <laughs> isn't it? Like, given his band and the sound and everything like that. But that's not a bad thing. I was watching Jackass again the other day with my six-year-old, so... Yeah, it uh, really kind of captured that that era, didn't it? That, uh, that time. Yeah, Tony Hawk's jorts and guitars, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but folks, like you say, this week coming up, uh, interview with Brandon Fugel is out Monday 23rd of May. That'll be on the YouTube channel on the Friday. Um wednesday this week we've got dan's initial coloring outside the lines finally dropping around five months after we announced it um, which is shorter (laughs) than expected Uh, dan do you want to mention a little bit about that just so people know what to expect yeah for sure it's it's cool to get it out on on my birthday as well it it saves me like remembering an extra date in terms of anniversaries but uh yeah i i have a great conversation with Dr. Michelle Fournay. Uh, uh, she's a marine ecologist studying the impact of sound on marine environments, as well as uh, communication between marine animals. So basically, she's studying and decoding whale song. If you've seen the, the documentary Fathom, you'll, you'll know her from there and her work. I, I'd recommend having a listen. It, it starts talking about whale song, and then we kind of talk about communicating with other forms of life, and it gets a little philosophical. Uh, so I, I really hope that people enjoy that and I'm glad to have it out. And it'll be out on the That UFO podcast uh, feed. It'll be out on the That UFO podcast YouTube channel and you'll find it on the Anomalous Podcast Network feed. Apologies for the few weeks of silence on there, folks. It's been crazy hectic with me for work now for, what, six weeks, Dan? Um, yeah. And I do have a lot of content from Vinny, Priscilla, and, of course, Graham and Dave's uh, most up-to-date unidentified aerial podcast um just to put out so within the next 24 hours you'll see all that update as well and then next week later in the week you'll have a breakdown dan we'll cover the kind of fallout from the congressional hearings and we'll cover some other stories within that as well so awesome lots to do lots to come up folks if you want to get in touch again remember email ufo uap am at gmail.com and until next time thank you very much for listening as Dan's alarm goes off that was a phone call. I, I'm sorry that it went off there. Terrible uh, timing. You, you should you. have just you should have just said that was the end of the podcast alarm. <laughs> <laughs> that is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet, and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access the shows ad-free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, That UFO Podcast. 
of course on Twitter it's at UFO UAPAM and again folks as always keep looking up you never know what you might see